Clement K. Takwaye now presents Gold Wings Rising from the Skybound Saga by Alex London. MK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished the third book in the Skybound series by Alex London. We just finished Gold Wings Rising. We did. I read this book so fast, Katie. I read it in a day. Less than a day. And it's long. I mean, mine was like almost 500 pages. <laughs> Same here. And partly it was because I had to, because I waited until the last <laughs> minute before we were supposed to record. But I also was just tearing through it. And it's not like you waited until the last minute. We did a pretty quick turnaround this time. We gave ourselves less time than normal to read. But um... <laughs> I gave myself 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I also read it really fast, though. And it didn't feel, I think I was telling you this before, not even because of the writing, but just because of like the cadence of our podcast, sometimes I feel a little bit like getting through the book is homework because I have to do it by a certain day. Mm-hmm. But I actually thought that because of our tighter timeline, I would feel that way this book, but I got through it early yesterday as opposed to thinking I'd finish it like right before we recorded. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of it is this book just feels so different from some of the other YA books mm-hmm. we've read. Just like the concept is so unique. And so it felt fresh and it felt exciting to read for me. Yep. It also felt contained enough while still being interesting. I think we've had both extremes a little bit, but especially recently, I think we've had a lot of like characters or perspectives. And this one, we still had the two main perspectives and the occasional, you know, at the end of each section, there would, there would be a different perspective as well. But it didn't feel like we were trying to see the whole world yep. all at once all the time. That definitely helped. So what'd you think overall though? Because you've been loving this. It has been different. We needed to kind of get out of our rut a little bit. And again, not because of any particular book, just it did feel like we were reading similar type mm-hmm. of things a lot. How do you feel at the end? Um, okay. I loved the first two immensely. I didn't like this third one quite as much. Okay. And I think Part of it is that I'm just not a super big fan of trilogies. Like for me, a duology is the perfect length for a YA series because one book is sometimes not enough. Three is sometimes too much and things get tiresome. And two just like is the sweet spot. So this was a trilogy. And I found that at the beginning, like the eagle attacks and the 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 bird concept was like super fresh and exciting. And by the third book, Like every time the eagles attacked, which they did a lot, I just kind of kept thinking like, okay, the eagles are attacking again. Like (laughs) who's going to die now? Like it lost its shiny, glossy feeling because it it just had repeated itself a little bit too much for me. That's fair. And we were kind of back on this journey through the mountains near the house or whatever. But I think it was different enough for me because what I appreciated about this series Because usually I struggle with trilogies in the second book, feeling like it's too middle book Mm. or like they could have just maybe done it in a duology, but like cut out a lot of the middle part. This one, I still felt like each book could almost have stood on its own without the others. Like, yes, they definitely build off of each other, but they were kind of contained stories where you'd need a little bit of background maybe for the second and third, but you could almost jump in and like not know what had happened in the previous books and like just fall into this world and it's cool. Totally. And that's such a hard thing to do, I feel, with planning. Like three self-contained books that yet build on each other. And I think you're right. I think this series did that extremely well. Like in every book, we had a new adventure. And in this one, we have the egg that Kylie and Bryson find. And... That was exciting to me because I was so curious after the end of the second book, like, what is up with these ghost eagles? Where is it going to go? Yeah, like, something big is happening with them. They definitely have a mind and a history of their own. And so I was really excited to learn about that. And and it felt new. And I loved, from the legend standpoint, because we get not just, like, the ghost eagles origin story, 
But even like why, you know how we were trying to figure out like Utsari versus Kartami versus mm-hmm. Altari. And like we sort of saw how all this animosity changed things to begin with. But it was cool because, yes, we knew the differences in books one and two. But I felt like all that backstory. I mean, again, it, I think it did such a good job of referencing things from the earlier books, but without feeling like. I don't know. I didn't feel like there were all these loose ends while I was reading one and two, but then things did come back around in such a cool way, in my opinion, for how they connected. And I love good legends and histories, and I appreciated that it got so big. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we left off in the second book with... The world is ending. (laughs) Yeah. Everything is ruined. The ghost eagle turns on everyone. Bryson lost his eye. Oh. Everyone's fighting. Shara died. Oh, yeah. Everyone blames Kylie. Kylie's angry. Bryson's impulsive. Yeah, some things don't change. And then the third book opens with this, and this was so cool. There are these nets all over the skies that are like protecting Mm -hmm. the cities from the ghost eagles. And I thought that was like such a cool visual and such a, like a drastic, how the tables have turned because the Utsari used to like worship the sky and birds were such a part, a huge part of their lives. And now they have barricaded themselves and like sealed off the sky essentially, which was like such a great way to open a book. Yeah. And even just like the analogies of like, they're now caged mm-hmm. and like, we've had the, this whole thing about, you know, who tames who throughout the books already. But yeah, just some of the imagery was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And how the eagles are like picking them off one by one. It's like, scary and so human about how like they kind of all need to be together because they're all trying to survive but then tensions are so high and they have so much animosity between them and like you know bad people are using it as an excuse to kill off people they don't like i don't like just like it's just creating this ugly ugly world too it's like bringing out the worst in people absolutely yeah and then at the heart of it we have the twins kylie and bryson who are now having nightmares that the eagles are like putting into their heads which is so interesting because they both have the same dreams but they want different things so kylie wants to kill the eagle she blames it for turning on them and she wants to destroy the eagle and she's just done with other people using her yeah totally (laughs) and bryson of course our little healer. He wants to rescue the eagles and save them. Um, he feels like they can be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool that, that the author positioned that up front mm-hmm. with the twins being on opposing sides. Like one wanting to save the eagle and one wanting to destroy it. And I understood both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is not necessarily moving the plot forward, but a big difference in the beginning of this book compared to the last two was their mother is actually kind of being a mom and a decent one at that. Oh, yeah. And she's Mm -hmm. even helping them. And they also find out that she speaks the hollow tongue. Yes. Oh, my God. That was huge. I did not expect that at all. And I think... That was nice because I think it it was the first book maybe where you said like, oh, I hope we get to learn a little bit about the mom's backstory because she's such an awful character and you just hate her so much for not defending her Mm -hmm. children. And so it was nice that we did get that background where we learned that she basically fled the Altari because she's like uh, Grazim. She can speak the hollow tongue and they cast her out essentially because of that. The difference is she also, like, thought it was a curse and ignored it or whatever, whereas Razine, like... Embraced it. Kind of embraced it. Yeah. Yeah. So I did... I liked getting that backstory, but I still wanted to know more about how she ended up with the... Like, I still feel like there are whole... Like, she's still interesting to me. I want even more. Not necessarily from this book. I didn't think it needed to be Mm -hmm. here, but, like, as far as side characters and backstories, I was kind of interested to, like hear how it went when she left home and then married a falconer who's got anger problems at a minimum and Mm -hmm. well it aligns with the theme of this book that we have which is cyclical violence right yeah just this Mm self-fulfilling prophecy where you perpetuate violence and violence is born from it and you just go around and around and around and like eventually you have to break the cycle so i think that their mom was a really good example of someone who just couldn't break the cycle. Like she came from this place of like self-loathing and, and, you know, hating herself and being cast out. And she kind of like 
perpetuated that pain in her relationship with her husband and then her children. Yeah, it's like she thought she deserved that, so she didn't Mm -hmm. try to, yeah. That's fair. And then they find this egg. (laughs) At first, I was, like, not into the egg at all, but for some reason, it, like, I feel like that's something I would normally be, like, super against the whole time. I kind of came around to it, but definitely at first, I was like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? (laughs) Well, I... I kind of liked this because it was like, I I like being able to kind of see where the book's going to go, but not, not give away everything, but I like to kind of not totally be lost about where I'm headed. And so I thought this was, it was good for me whenever they had this egg. And again, Bryson and Kylie are on opposite sides. So Bryson wants to like hatch the egg and teach the baby to love. And basically he was like, if I can change this Mm -hmm. one eagle, maybe I can change all of them. Like sometimes... That's like a big theme in some of the books we read where it's like all it takes is one person to like change other people's minds and break the cycle. To be fair, with the connected mind, it makes sense that he thought that because the eagles have like Mm. one shared mind. So it does feel like like one piece in would affect all of that, right? Yeah, because Kylie wants to destroy the egg to hurt all the eagles. Yeah. That's like what she wants to do. And she thinks if she can destroy one, it will destroy them all, right? Because she thought they all were feeling the pain of the one that was caught before that. Mm -hmm. And she, I I was also like a little bit worried for Kylie in this book too, because like there was that one scene where she like really wants to destroy the egg to hurt the eagles. And so she sends her hawk after Bryson. Yeah. Like she turns her hawk against her brother, which is like, According to, like, the code of falconers, like, you never turn your your hawk on a friend. And there was, like, that moment where Bryson was, like, she she became her father. Mm -hmm. She became the predator and, like, Bryson was the prey. And it was just, it was, like, really disturbing because you could see, like, how intense her anger was that, like, she would even go that far as to, like, you know, perpetuate that violence. Yeah. And I loved, as throughout the book, as she talks about... All she's been trying to do is, like, have control of her life. And it's basically, like, I understand her frustration, like, not to the point of, like, sending a murderer after my sibling. But, like, I I think that would have been a hard thing for me to buy book one. But I feel like we've seen her just get, like, so angry and mm-hmm. so frustrated and kind of be ruled by that emotion and unable to, to manage it. So it felt yeah. like a high stakes but natural progression of the journey she was on. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's when their mom steps in and speaks the hollow tongue for the first time to call off the hawk. So yeah. she like finally defended Bryson. And speaking of pain and perpetuating violence, we learn about how the eggs are created. So the eggs, the ghost eagle eggs are created from shared pain and grief. And this was like super interesting to me. Yeah, this group comes in from like the wasteland and they're welcomed in by the falconers who like actually just like can communicate with the falcons even better than the hollow tongue. And everyone's like getting along and things are great and they're helping mm-hmm. each other and taking care of each other and blending families and like la di da. And then humans are humans <laughs> and the worst side of people starts to rise to the top and there's a fear of, you know, being sent away and not having what they used to have and there's a fear of these outsiders changing the way things used to be and there's and like losing too much of their culture and and then fearing that the falcon that the falconers had too much power over them too it was like yeah it was almost like they they were able to blend and then they got afraid and it was so interesting because they also talked about it from a generational standpoint right they said like the Mm -hmm. the younger generation was still and i think this is true even in our world today right like open to change your ideas and different stuff and the older generation is a little bit resistant or feels threatened by those new ideas and what it means to their way of life or Mm -hmm. what came before so I think that tension also feels natural but yeah they took it to an extreme and that fear got the best of them and the invaders killed who are the uh, were the altari right the invaders were I thought they were the altari oh wait yeah did they become the altari yeah I think so because they and they murdered all of the falconers. So yeah, the group of people from the wastelands murder all of the falconers. But then another group from the wasteland comes in that's like a generation behind them. And that was the Uzari. Okay, and they're the ones. Okay. 
Yeah, the Atsari arrived and they were like horrified yeah, okay. by what the Altari had done and they banished them. That's why they banished them to the mountain. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. I was forgetting the sequence. And then the murdered people and all the pain that was caused, specifically twins of a blended family. Yeah, some were Altari and some were from the Falconer's family. Yeah. They were the only two survivors. Basically all these dead people rose up and all their pain became the ghost eagles. Yeah, because the twins found the egg, right? The the twins yep. were the first ones to find an egg, and when it hatched, the eaglet like screamed out a word, and then all the bodies of the dead falconers turned into ghost eagles, which is like, yep. whoa, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I wasn't either, but it's such a, like, it's so much cooler than just like, there are ghosts, like, I'm glad, I wasn't even expecting to get an origin story for the ghost eagles. Me either. And it was so cool that we got one. Agreed. And I also just love the tie-in, how, like, the first two survivors were twins from a mixed family, and Bryson and Kylie are also from a mixed family, like Utsari and Altari. And even hearing, because those twins, ultimately one of them murdered the other one. Like, they both, they were also, the the anger and the healing piece, and, like, that tension, and not being able to overcome yep, it. Yep, they were just... on different sides too. And then to see it play out so many times because so that was the only egg that's ever hatched was that first one. And then the owl mothers, and who were they again? Oh, that was one of the twins, right? The surviving twin was the owl mother? Yeah, yep. Because the, sur- the twin that survived was the angry one, I guess, and she killed the other twin and buried the egg and then became and then she became the first owl mother. Yeah. And that burial site where the egg and the blood were became a one of these magic birch tree things. Forests. Yeah. And so, yeah, all the other trees in the forest are from other twins. Like the owl mothers, their whole purpose has really been maintaining this story that everyone else has forgotten, knowing the origins and hunting down these eggs, basically, <laughs> and murdering these children. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, it's part of a generational thing. Like every few years an egg is created created by the all the pain in the world yeah and then the twins are born and then the only way to stop the eagle from being born is to bury the egg and kill the twins <laughs> yeah very unexpected and i loved how that story this is a great tie in um i loved how that story was written on the bodies of the owl yeah. mother boys because we learned in the first book that they all have these tattoos all over them and joan has like part of it and we we learned even at the beginning that the tattoos told a story but we didn't know what story it was until the end until this book and I just I loved that scene when like Bryson had to like read the story all over him like that was such a cool a cool idea and even the idea again that um many parts make the whole because it wasn't like the whole story was on him there was a part on him a part on every other boy in the coven and they had to read all of them to get the full picture part of a flock um the one thing that i will say that i did get confused a little bit in this book because there was so much speculation about the egg and whether or not they should let it hatch and what would happen if they did let it hatch and and what the eagles wanted because the eagles they just said like the eagles want it to hatch but they're also terrified of it hatching and there was so much back and forth about like the speculation that I really got confused about what the eagles actually wanted and like if it was good or bad to let this egg hatch. Like I had, I had no idea (laughs) at a certain point, like what the eagles actually wanted. No, that's fair. And I think what the eagles wanted was they wanted the egg to hatch, but they wanted to be destroyed by the egg and destroy the world. Like they were, they were in so much pain. They didn't have any hope. Like oblivion. Yeah. They wanted this, Creature like between the eagles killing all the people and the hatchling killing all the eagles, like destroying everything and just getting rid of the pain and never, you know, all of that. So I think that's what they wanted, but they were also afraid because there were so many unknowns. Yeah. But I think it was unclear if what they wanted was good or bad for a while. <laughs> but I, I don't think they yeah. knew either, to be honest. And I don't think... Like, it was, it was sort of interesting because we, again, the eggs are created by people and the ghost eagles, sort of. Like, it's like this combined pain, the twins and all this, like, mm-hmm. generational pain that's been converted into these ghost eagles. But we also have, like, the human, the, like, the owl mother and the army guy and, uh, I don't know, just, like, everyone kind of still, it's like a power move or people want different things or even when they want the same things, it's for different reasons. And it was hard to kind of sort out 
who had good motives or until we got the full story, mm-hmm. there was so much that was like puzzle pieces. And it's like, I don't know that you're doing the right thing, but I don't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah. And even with Bryson and Kylie, like sometimes they wanted the egg to hatch and then sometimes they didn't want the egg to hatch and they kept flip flopping. Yeah. And I was confused. I was just, it was hard to follow their motives. To be fair, Bryson, I think always wanted the egg to hatch. Until the very end. Wait, when did he remember? Because Well, this like killed me when the, they finally, they speak the word to crack open the egg. Some idiot put the egg underwater to hatch. <laughs> and then the baby bird drowned. And that was like one of the saddest things I ever read. Like this little baby bird was like was. hearing the call yeah. and like was trying to respond. And it was like, I hear you. Like I'm trying to sing my song. And it just like drowned trying to get out of the egg. That was that was like made me so sad. And then Bryson is like, oh, I need to bring it back to life. But then he's like, no, never mind. I don't want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did forget about that part. I and think... then I, who brought it back back to life? Wasn't it Raven or whatever his name is? Was it? Okay. I thought, but I thought that Bryson was the only one who had the power to heal. That's why I was confused. I don't know. Actually, that part <laughs> did confuse me. I actually, I forgot until you're saying this now. I also was confused by that. Because there was so much happening in that scene, too. So it was a little bit hard. And then I wasn't sure if he actually did bring it back. But by not, like, committing to... Mm -hmm. Like, the magic of him not forcing something. I agree. That part was kind of a weird switch for him. Yeah. It just would have been a little bit clearer if he didn't have that flip-flopping. I also... This is the other thing at the end that bothered me just a little bit. And I haven't even decided if it actually bothers me or not. But I thought it was interesting that... Bryson has been proving himself through all of this, but then he's still at the end was like, oh, we need Kylie. Like, she's the Mm -hmm. one who can do it. Mm -hmm. And I think I was sort of expecting them to work together, like actually working together, not just like handing off, but like they Mm -hmm. were getting along, but it sort of felt like a weird handoff where it was still like Kylie. Saving the day. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But then it worked. Like, it was just like, I thought it was weird in the moment, but then I like was into the story and I was following and it was fine. But yeah. It was interesting that her solution was to command the birds to sing mm-hmm. because the ghost eagle, after it hatches, it starts killing people and then everyone who dies starts turning into ghost eagles. Like it's repeating history, which was terrifying because mm-hmm. Niall was one of the... Ugh, that part made uh, me sad too. I know. It was sad that he died. Um, and then turned into an eagle and then they rode... Like that would be just like mentally... The trauma of seeing your best friend die and then turn into an eagle and then riding that eagle into battle, like, I would yeah. not be okay. <laughs> I would yeah. not be okay. <laughs> no, I would, yeah, need some time to process that first. <laughs> I, I like the idea of the singing, though, because she also was reflecting on what did she not get? And, like, people want to be heard and, like, these stories need to be told and listened to. And I, like, I did love that ultimate message and even how it cycled through at the end because... At the very end, Kylie's like going around and like helping these communities heal by sharing and owning and telling and listening to the stories of the community as a whole. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, totally. Because it goes back to like the power of storytelling and like the power of collective Mm -hmm. shared grief. Because that's what she basically has the Eagles do at the end. She commands them to sing and then she commands them to grieve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she realizes that she hasn't had a chance to grieve yet either. And like, I don't know. I think like that is a powerful message of like to move forward, not to move on, but to move forward, you have to process your grief mm-hmm. and you have to go through that. There's like no shortcut. Yeah. Which is just so true. And so I thought that message was a really good one. And it, it just, it made a lot of sense. I also loved, um, and I feel like this is connected, but a few points earlier in the book, they sort of reference this idea of everyone is like the main character of their own story mm-hmm. or like, you know, like there's these different perspectives of, I'm trying to remember the actual reference. Oh, maybe it was when she was seeing different people who had been killed or I forget if it was her or Bryson. And they were seeing like, oh, oh that yeah. soldier, like they were seeing his parents say goodbye to him. And then like someone else like saying goodbye to their kids mm-hmm. and like, Everyone has people who care about them. Everyone, like, again, people are more than just their worst instinct or worst decision. And I love that throughout the book, too. Like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was interesting because this whole book, Kylie was, like, resisting Mm -hmm. seeing that and acknowledging that pain. Even when she, like, stood before General 
brigand and she was like i have no regrets for what i did and he was like how can you stand there and say that like Mm -hmm. you have been responsible for so much pain like yes i know you thought you were doing right but like soldiers were still dying and they had families and they cared about them and then when she was seeing them die in the vision she was like i don't want this i don't want to see this but i think in the end she realized like she had to confront it in order to heal yep which is just like i am so impressed with the amount of like personal growth and like the arc of our main characters Mm -hmm. but i also love that they kind of stayed true to themselves and they both went through a different arc yeah for sure but i liked like at the end like bryson still was kind of reckless and still really you know wore his heart on his sleeve and kylie was still you know still had her anger issues but i liked that um you know they changed but they were still themselves so true and it was, again, nice that they were, like, also independent of each other. Like, they didn't become... There wasn't, like, one ideal either, right? Like, their differences... The growth was necessary, but their differences were also still part of what made them who they were. <laughs> Absolutely. I also really liked that... I liked the romance in this book quite a lot, I will say. I liked that there were so many different types. And I liked that... Um, I really liked that Kylie did not have a love interest. Because they kind of said that in the beginning, like, you know, we knew Niall really loved her, but she always said she wasn't interested. And I think in so many YA books that we read, you know, our main character starts out not interested and then ends up falling in love. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I really liked in this book that that didn't happen because it felt good to have a main character say like, no, I'm not interested in romance. That's not a part of my life. And to have her stick with it through the entire way and and just, and have that be her identity instead of like, oh, actually I did want romance um, and I just didn't know it. Like, no, she was, she was very much settled in her identity and and what she wanted. And I really appreciated that they didn't waver between that. Also, this book did such a good job of representation in terms of sexuality without like having to label it or make it a thing at all like I liked how people just like accepted like it wasn't a pro or con for any of these different situations that we saw we saw different pronouns we saw yeah like more of an asexual or aromantic character we saw you know just like all different kinds of relationships and they were all accepted no one was like oh that's weird or even like coming around to something or even having to like define themselves some way it was just like however you are like that's how you are. And I'm like this. Right. Like even with Niall, who could have gotten like really upset, even like outside of like this stuff, but just like anyone who cares about someone who doesn't care about them back for whatever reason could get really upset. But he like just loved Kylie anyways and totally accepted that she was never going to feel the same way about him. And that was fine. Mm -hmm. I agree. I loved that for the same reason. And I think it's really important that there was so much... Uh, representation and there was like there was no coming out story there was no questioning of non-binary characters they were just there existing in the story just on the same adventure as everyone else and I think that's just so important and I think the author did a really good job of it of doing that yeah I think this is one of the best examples of that I've seen in books in a Mm -hmm. while at least maybe ever yeah um what else what was your favorite scene oh so if I wanted to see something I feel like it would have to be something near the end I was so intrigued by this egg and like how it would change colors and react to things and the transformation of the ghost eagles attacking and the soldiers turning into ghost eagles like just like the chaos and the something about that like kind of final several scenes I guess but that part of the book I feel like would just be I I was Mm -hmm. like fascinated by a little bit but I don't know that that was really my favorite scene, but from like a visual standpoint, that would be like cool. I really liked the scenes with, there were just some really good scenes with Joan and Bryson. Joan's my favorite. He's so funny. I know, his rhyming. (laughs) I love how he makes all of his jokes rhyme too, yeah. And he also just like uh, breaks my heart a little bit, like how the, he finds out that the group that had already exiled him and he kind of knew, but then like just like all the pain there of. He had already like left a terrible home situation, made a family somewhere else, been exiled and knew like he was making a choice to go with Bryson and then like see them again and see that they were like threatening him and like would have killed him to get Bryson to do what they wanted. Mm. And then to see them all die. Yeah. <sighs> Although I'm also, okay, I'm obviously glad that he lived. Who, Joan? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. But I find it odd that he's the only one who survived that attack. Like, did the ghost eagles know that he wasn't truly a coven boy anymore? Oh, I don't know. Or, like, like I feel like at least one other should have survived or something, but whatever. <laughs> um, I liked two scenes. I liked when Bryson has to climb again for the first time, and his depth perception is, like, totally off. And Joven, mm-hmm. like, essentially climbs with him slash for him and is, like, directing him where to go. I just thought that was, like, a really touching scene. And I loved... Oh, I was so scared, but I loved the scene where... Joan falls off the mountain and then Bryson shouts the word for trade because that was like the only thing he could think of where he was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I want myself to die instead of him, like anyone but him. And so he shouts trade to like get the eagle to like save Joan and have him fall instead. And luckily the eagle saves both of them. But I just thought that was like, ah, oh, such a good, such intentional language yeah. too. again, which we've said multiple times and is another kind of message in this book. But yeah, it wasn't save him or like fix it or right. fetch. It was trade. And just showed like the depth of what he was willing to sacrifice for him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I really like their love story. Yeah. And another just like great relationship development and character growth. Because remember Bryson's love interest in the first book at the very beginning? Ugh, Damien awful but it also still felt natural like i'm glad that we didn't rush into anything they were kind of friends first they like cared about each other they both had like trauma in their past which i'm not glad for but Mm -hmm. i felt like allowed them to understand each other in a certain way and just all the all the better that they could find hope and love and joy in life yeah Mm, i'm just so glad they get to be together Yeah, I actually don't have the strong feeling that I sometimes do about how many people survived in our original group. <laughs> a lot of people died, though. They, like... That might be why. Maybe the proper... he. This is one of the few authors who has nailed that uh, ratio for me, and I don't feel <laughs> disappointed that everyone I like is alive. <laughs> um, did you do any research this week? So I did a little bit. When they were in the cave with the owl mothers coming, I forget even exactly what was happening here but someone made a comment about how owls are stupid compared to hawks <laughs> i remember that yeah and it just like got me thinking about i i know owls and hawks are different but i was kind of curious especially because the owl mothers they've made these different choices so i looked into more of the differences between owls and hawks okay and so um this article that i found kind of started out with a funny story which is basically like two shift workers working opposite shifts and passing each other and so like the biggest difference is that the hawk is like a day bird and the owl is like a nocturnal nighttime bird so this is like evolution what evolution calls a a niche differentiation so since our world is dark half the time different animals Mm -hmm. will hunt at different times of the day and even um you know some animals hunt at dawn or some animals hunt at dusk but they've physically adapted to be at their best at different times of day. So a lot of the physical differences between hawks mm. and owls have to do with the fact that owls are hunting in the nighttime in the dark versus hawks. Oh. So here are some interesting things. I think this is the one that was referenced in the book. So one of the big differences is the eyes. So an owl's eyes are like significantly bigger than a hawk's eyes because they're trying to get as much light as they can from like very dim lighting, like just moon and stars and whatnot. So... The eyes of a three-pound great horned owl are the same size as the eyes of a 300-pound man. What? Which I just thought was a funny comparison because people's eyes don't get that much bigger. No. Like, (laughs) as you gain weight. Like, being 300 pounds or, like, 200 pounds, your eyes are the same size. But anyway. So it's, like, the size of a human, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. The eyes take up nearly all the room inside an owl's skull, though. So, like, I think that was a comment made in the book, something about, like, their brain is smaller than their eyes or something, but... Um, and their eyes aren't spheres, so they're like kind of shaped like a barrel mm-hmm. with rounded ends, and they are on the front of their face like a human's, as opposed to a lot of um, birds have them on the side of their face, and that's why owls can rotate their head because they also don't move, like the eyeballs are fixed in place, so they have to rotate their head to look left or right. What? So you've probably seen like even in comics and stuff like an owl can like shift its head all the way around. So it can actually go 270 degrees around, but most birds can only go 180 degrees. Oh my God. What? So yeah, so they have better binocular vision, which is helpful at night. And then they also have adapted hearing that is better at night. So one ear on an owl is higher than the other, which allows them to triangulate 
sound better in the dark or just probably in general, but Hmm. they especially have to rely on hearing in the dark. Um, And just from an eye perspective, again, hawks can't see that much better than humans in the dark. Mm. Like owls can see a lot more because they have these giant eyes bringing in all the light, but hawks are also pretty blind once it's dark out. Okay. Also, their face is shaped like an acoustic dish or a bowl, so it helps funnel the sound to their ear. And they have different feathers. So their feathers have fluffy edges that make less sound when flapping through the air. Okay, and this is funny. I'm going to make you try this. Okay. Mm. You can you can test this by holding all your fingers tightly together as if saluting okay. and waving your hand very fast past your ear, like you're swatting a fly right near your ear. Do you hear a whoosh? Yeah. Okay, now do the same thing, but spread your fingers apart more. Uh-huh. Is it quieter? No. Oh, well, it's supposed to be quieter. But I, like, hit myself in the face while I was doing that, so... I- Maybe. I mean, I feel less air. <laughs> I failed. <laughs> Well, you didn't hit yourself in the face, so I still think you won. I was yeah, like, okay. <laughs> I hit myself multiple times, and I was like, what am I doing? Oh, my God. Um, so also because owls are sleeping during the day, they make, like, easy targets because hunters, you know, things that eat them, would find them really easily if they didn't have a good ability to hide. So they're much more camouflage-ish. That's not the <laughs> word. I don't know. They, they can camouflage much better than hawks can. Um, And probably is another evolution thing because all the easy to spot owls were just eaten. (laughs) Um, And then their feet. So if you look at like a hawk's foot versus a owl's foot. So for a hawk, they have like three, what do you call them? Talons Mm -hmm. or little toe things in the front and one in the rear. But an owl can have two in front and two in the rear or three and one. So they they can switch it up. So... (laughs) Is it just like the different things they perch on and the different types of prey they catch? So yeah, it does allow them for a better grip, which can be good if you can't see very well. But it also, (laughs) they've like adapted different killing methods. So an owl is more likely to crush their food like in the moment. So they'll like land on top of their prey Mm. and stay on the ground until their prey is dead versus hawks will usually grab their prey and then like take it somewhere else. They don't need to crush it immediately. They can like kill it later. Okay. So owls need to be, like, silent and hidden so that they can, like, be on the ground crushing their prey for longer. So they need to be able to kill faster, too. And so that two-by-two talon thing instead of the three-by-one... Oh, gives you more surface area to, like, crush. Yeah, I guess so. That's interesting. But an owl and hawk of the same size, an owl's crushing force is, like, multiple times stronger than that. So a great horned owl could puncture your skull. What? But a red-tailed hawk cannot do that. Interesting. That reminds me of the um, the documentary, The Staircase. Have you ever watched that? No. What is that about? It sounds scary. You would hate it. Is it scary? <laughs> yeah, it's scary. Yeah. It's about the novelist, Michael Peterson, whose wife died, and he claimed that she died falling downstairs. Wait, I feel like you have told me about this, and yeah, I would hate this. But one theory is that she was attacked by an owl on her way home, and an owl like punctured her skull and like clawed her, and that's why there was so much blood crazy so maybe it was an owl but it surely wasn't a hawk we can say that for sure (laughs) well again not that i wanted to go run into an angry owl in the first place but even though they like kind of made fun of them in this book and i wouldn't want to run into a hawk or definitely not a ghost seagull either i don't want to make an owl while they're mad no that stuff about their eyes is so wild like they can't move their eyes back and forth yeah so that's why they swivel their whole head to look to the side crazy and again this was one article so there's a small chance very very small that it might not be a hundred percent accurate and i should have done some cross-referencing of some of these points but i'm sure that i was entirely factual (laughs) well i researched birds as well um what'd you learn i researched eagle nests okay and eagle eggs and then i went on a rabbit hole about bald eagles (laughs) (laughs) teach me teach me um Okay, I do not know how long bald eagles live. They can live to be 38 years old. Whoa. Usually they live 15 to 30 years in the wild, but the oldest known one was 38 years old. (laughs) And this is interesting. They also don't start breeding until four or five years of age, which seems like old to me in, in the animal kingdom. Yeah. And then they said many don't start breeding until much older. I respect that. Oh, yeah. They're waiting a little bit. Getting to know themselves first. Make sure they find the right person. I mean, right eagle. Yeah. They can weigh up to 14 pounds and have a wingspan of 8 feet. 
Have you ever seen one like really up close? Mm-mm. I haven't either. I've like seen them from a distance or like on film or you know whatever but there was an eagle camera in my hometown like an eagle nest cam um, where you could like tune in and see the baby eagles and that was really cool especially because their nests are massive so uh they usually mate for life and they choose you know they choose to build their nests in the top of trees or in cliffs and like on rocks what do they build them out of? They use large sticks and then they line it with moss, grass, plant stalks, lichen, seaweed, or sod. So lots of stuff. Yeah. And they, it's, this is kind of sad, but they said like they're increasingly building nests in artificial structures like power poles and like communication towers, which is not great, but their nests are massive. So they're usually about four to five feet wide and two to four feet deep. Wow, I had to do. I had to use my arm so I could picture it properly. I mean, I'm five feet, so yeah, that's crazy. And then they usually add material to the nest every year. Um, so they start small, but some can reach ten feet across and weigh up to a thousand pounds. Yeah. Wow. So do they like live there all the time, or do they like raise babies there and then come back when they're ready for more babies? I don't know. I I mean, I think they primarily build nests for their young. But mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure. I just didn't realize that they like kept them for yeah. that long. That's cool. They said the largest recorded bald eagle, eagle's nest was located in St. Petersburg, Florida. It was 9.5 feet in diameter, 20 feet deep, and weighed almost 6,000 pounds. Whoa. So how many babies do they have at a time? And how big are the babies until they leave? Like, I feel like I could live in that. <laughs> I know. There, I mean, there are apartments in New York that are smaller than that. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so they usually lay one to three eggs once a year, and they'll hatch after about 35 days. The young eagles fly within three months, but they will continue to use their nests wow. as a home base where their parents continue to care for them for an additional four to six weeks. That's not that long, but that's interesting. Yeah. I totally get now. You know, like in some, especially like myths and stuff, there's like humans that get taken to an eagle's nest (laughs) yeah but like when they're that big it like I in my mind it always seems so silly but I didn't realize like how big they actually get (laughs) even in regular life yeah you know it's possible yeah we could fit in one we can have book club there (laughs) so young eagles are really vulnerable and their mortality rates the first year can be as high as 50 percent Wow. So America adopted the bald eagle as their national symbol in 1782. And the first major decline of the species began in the late 1800s. They are opportunistic hunters and they will sometimes prey on like chickens, lambs, domestic livestock. And so in the 1800s, a lot of people were shooting them to like protect their livestock. And then they lost a lot of their nesting habitats around that time so the population declined Hmm. Um, in 1940 congress passed the bald eagle protection act which prohibited killing selling or possessing the species but the biggest threat to bald eagles happened right after world war ii um, when ddt was used to control mosquitoes and other pests yeah yeah and its residues like washed into waterways and the fish absorbed it the plants absorbed it and bald eagles were really affected by it sounds like their whole food well not whole but enough of their food supply yeah and not only so the problem was what they ate was contaminated with ddt and the chemical not only killed them but it also interfered with their ability to lay eggs that were that had strong egg shells Mm. so because of the ddt they started laying eggs that had really thin weak shells and they broke during incubation and it i mean the chemical affected a lot of birds this way but i think bald eagles were hit Mm. especially hard and so eventually the dangers of ddt became known and that was largely because of Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, in 1962. I was going to say, Silent Spring. Yep. Did you read that? Have you read that? Yeah, I have, actually. Yeah, I had to read that in high mm-hmm. school. So after the United States banned the use of DDT, um, that was like the first step to recovery for the bald eagles. So books have saved the bald eagle, is how I'm taking that. Yes, this is the lesson. <laughs> books saved the bald eagle. Basically, books saved America. <laughs> 
Which is why you should really get a library card. <laughs> um, so today, well, basically in 2000, 2006, they announced that there are at least 10,000 nesting pairs of bald eagles in the United States. Um, they've been rebounding ever since, and they are no longer on the list of threatened or endangered species. That's great. That has a happy ending. Yeah. Okay, good. Yes, it does. For once. Marissa shares a story, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rarity. Don't expect it to happen again. <laughs> Enjoy it. Katie's not asking for someone to die in the book, and Marissa's sharing happy research, and <laughs> the world didn't end, so... I mean, this is just a win for everyone, this this series. (laughs) Okay, so we need to do a couple things. We need to think of a fan name. (gasps) Oh, yeah. And we need to think of a rating. Let's do the rating first, because that's always easy. How many Ghost Eagles? Or Battle Boys? (laughs) How many Battle Boys? (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like Battle Boys are a good thing. Ghost Eagles still seem kind of negative. True. Okay. I liked the Battle Boys, too. (laughs) I liked how... Girls could be battle boys. Yeah. You know? And I liked that they, like, again, formed their own family. Like, they had all, like, been kicked out of their homes or left home for various reasons. And, like, I don't know. It was just sweet that they were, like, had so much loyalty and, like, these good qualities, even though they were kind of, like, breaking law and fighting and all Mm -hmm. kinds of negative things, too. They still had a code that they lived by. And, yeah. Yeah. They're the pirate princes. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Out of ten? Yeah. Out of ten. For the series, right? Not the book? Yeah. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I was going to give it an eight, so. I think that's my highest, one of my highest ratings ever, I think. I think you're right. Whew. Yeah, I'm stingy with my with my battle boys. <laughs> no, I mean, I really, really like this. Would recommend it to most people, too. It's not like, sometimes we read things where I'm like, I really liked it, but I don't think it's for everyone. Like, if you're in a YA fantasy, I say read it. Absolutely. And even people who aren't into it, because there's like this, like there's other people I'd also recommend it to, but there's no one that I'd be like, oh yeah, probably avoid this if you're already a YA fantasy fan. I agree. Um, okay. Ooh. Fan name. Can we just be Battle Boys, please? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Good. 100%. <laughs> I didn't even think about that when I mentioned them a minute ago, but yeah, that's all I want to be. That's actually what I want to see, is I want to see the Battle Boys in their outfits and stuff. Oh, their colorful clothing? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay, whose turn is it for a joke? I think it's my turn. Okay, good, because I don't have one. And I have a story joke for you, which are my favorite kind, but let me get it so that I don't mess it up. And it's kind of in theme because of where the joke takes place. So, a chicken walks into a library, library, that's the theme, and up to the desk, and the chicken says, what? So the librarian gives the chicken a book, and the chicken leaves with the book, and then returns like a, chicken impression. a few minutes later. I've been practicing. Returns a few minutes later and says, "Book." So the librarian gives him another book, and the chicken leaves and comes back. And I'm not gonna keep repeating it, but this goes on several times, like eight or nine times. And eventually, the librarian is curious, so leaves the library and goes outside on break and back. Follows the chicken out to this pond and the chicken's standing on the edge of the pond tossing the books to a frog who's on a lily pad oh, yeah. and the chicken keeps saying bah, bah, and the frog just says read it read it <laughs> i think that's my favorite joke you've ever told <laughs> i was so i almost sent it to you and i was like no i have to tell those on the podcast oh my god that's amazing <laughs> That was uh, maybe that's why I was nervous for this episode because I knew I had to bring my A game for the joke. I love that so much. But oh man, we're done with this series though. I know it's gonna take me a long time to come down from this one. I'm gonna have a really big book hangover from this thing. I think. I think I am too. And I honestly wasn't expecting to love. Like I was like into it, but I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did. Mm -hmm. I was like grateful for something new. Glad you were really into it. But at first, I was kind of like, I mean, it's good, but what? But now I'm, like, really into it. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite book we've read in a very long time. Yeah. Um, But we should talk about our next book because this series looks really interesting, too. So we are going to read Fury Born by Claire Legrand. The series is called the Imperium Trilogy. So we're reading another trilogy, but uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I really haven't heard a ton about this one. Not, like, I've seen it places, but I haven't 
read much about it myself. So, Well, I'm using it as a comp title for the book I'm writing right now, so I need to read it. <laughs> Which I'm excited about because I read a draft of your book, and if it's truly a comp in any way, it's got to be good, is how I feel. Um, I hope so. <laughs> or I'll just change my comp titles. <laughs> so let me read a little bit about Furyborn, the first book. Okay. When assassins ambush her best friend, the crown prince, Riella Dardenay risks everything to save him, exposing her ability to perform all seven kinds of elemental magic. Hmm. The only people who should possess this power are a pair of prophesied queens, a queen of light and a queen of blood. To prove she is the sun queen, Riella must endure seven trials to test her magic. If she fails, she will be executed, unless the trials destroy her first. A thousand years later, the legend of Queen Riella is a mere fairy tale to bounty hunter Eliana Ferracora. Hmm. When the undying emperor conquered her kingdom, she embraced violence to keep her family safe. Now she believes herself untouchable until her mother vanishes. To find her, Eliana joins a rebel captain on a dangerous mission and discovers that the evil at the heart of the empire is more terrible than she ever imagined. As Riella and Ariana fight in a cosmic war that spans millennia, their stories intersect and the shocking connections between them will ultimately determine the fate of their world and of each other. Wait, I'm really excited. This sounds cool. It does sound cool. I love the centuries dividing them. Yeah, the time gap. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so curious about that. And it sounds like we're going to get some pirate princes. 100%. (laughs) Thought you'd be excited about that. Plus bounty hunters and assassins and prophecy and queens. Magic and trials. There's a lot of things I'm yeah. into, so. It sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, we will re- be cool. reading that for next time. And in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mndktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mndktalkya. Please send us a message. I don't know. Can you record yourself telling the chicken and frog joke to someone else and see how your chicken and frog impressions compare to mine? (laughs) Tell us if you can do a good chicken impression (laughs) that rivals Katie's. (laughs) Just leave us box. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. I just wanted to do that one last time. (laughs) Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.